just roll them in like they are. The leaves yeah, will drop. Is it live? It says it's live there. Oh. Come on, come on, where are you? Hello Coppleson, you fish. Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fish on Friday. Episode 16, no less, no doubt. No far. Christy Drizzen, good evening. Anna Baker, good evening. Tom Bombadil, leading from Fife. Bombadil, yeah. I don't want to, I've just got to get grips with this. Sean Macho, Liverpool, and hello to all the fishes tuning in from him. Why won't you do this? Go this. Ah, here we go. Julie Crane, good evening, fish. Jonathan Barker, hi from Leeds. Darren Bells, hi, fish. Anthony Jackson, good evening. Christine Sheffield, hey, hiya. Dave Ailey, good evening. Alan Cops, as I said, Chris Bell, Dave Drayton Green, Laura Bittman Ward, Andrew Musket, Greg Herrick, Peter Van H. Jin from Holland, obviously. Neil Montgomery, how do you are up? Jill Button, Matt Daniels, Barry Hunter, Christian Drewson. I've actually been looking forward to this, this week. Although, this afternoon, oh, it was kind of, it was one of the, oh, my straps come off. <laughs> Got the official stage costume on. Fish and Friday stage costume. <clears throat> it's been, um, Tim Sycamore keeping safe and healthy. Laughs, maniacally, maniacally. I've come to recognise that Mondays are prosperous days and Mondays are days when lots of things get done and happen and all is wondrous, right? I've come to really hate Tuesdays because Tuesdays like the kind of fallout of it all. And uh, James Cassidy, Garden of Remembrance, well done, Dan. Thank you. Go away, James. Go away. And, um, yeah, so Tuesdays are, are like days from hell. And I said last week, at this point in the album, it's kind of, <clears throat> there's a lot of bureaucracy to be dealt with and everything else. And it's like, oh. oh. So we put the Blu-ray together for um, the Veltschmerz uh, deluxe version. And, uh, and I've never done a Blu-ray before. Right? Never done one. We've always done DVDs, never done a Blu-ray. And previously with the DVDs, it's been relatively easy, you know? And um, so when you make, when you normally make an album, you have to apply for what's called an MCPS license. And the MCPS license allows you, it's a license to actually produce CDs through your manufacturer. Understood, always follow this forever, right? No problem, ticket your boo, face the consequences with a DVD, no problem. We had a rating for it and everything. And so, <clears throat> On Monday it started, Tuesday it really came to the fore in a great big horrible way. And similarly with this, well, because we're doing a Blu-ray, we've got to get a different type of license because of the way things work. So I was having to fill in lots of paperwork and things and make sure it was all going across with bank references and everything like that. I had that. And then with the Blu-ray, it was like, 
oh, well, you've got to have this AC, AACS code, which I'd never heard about before, nobody told me about before. I think it's called AACS, AACS code. And I found out the only place you can get it is in Oregon, in America. No European offices for this company, and it costs $500 to get this key, this little four digits, six digits, whatever, to, that you have to have. So basically, you, the guy who puts your Blu-ray together, when he sends it off to the factory, the factory's got to authenticate that the Blu-ray, so it stops people, it means people can actually watch a Blu-ray in their machine. It's a special key, and it's $500, and I could only get it from Oregon. And I was told it might take up to 10 days. So Tuesday, this was Blue Hours Fly Productions here, so I'm contacting Oregon, right? Eight hours behind us in Pacific time. And a lovely person, Peggy, and I don't think Peggy's watching this, but I just want to say a big thank you to Peggy for immaculate understanding. And email alone, she took me through the forms because when I clicked up on forms you need to fill in, there was about 50 of them on a page. And I had no idea what I was doing. It was, it was, it wasn't even great, double great to me. Anyway, so, Peggy took us through the whole thing. And then I had to get the $500 wired across America to make sure it was right. 24 hours it took, and we got this number into the Blu-ray person. And now we're kinda, we had to go through artwork, right? And the artwork. So the deluxe version is, it's 100 pages of lyrics, sleeve notes, illustrations, da-da-da, with credits. I was going insane, right? It was so bad, and I was talking to Will Smith about this so, just about an hour ago, and uh, I had a little dot of dust on the screen of my computer, and I was, I mean, I'm reading ream after ream with this really small print, and I'm going through it, and I was convinced there was a full stop there on this, I'm going, why is that full stop there? And it took me a couple of minutes to realise it was actually a bit of dirt on the screen that I thought was a punctuation mark that was on the actual document. That's it, but I was hallucinating, right? And, um, but we got it all through, and there's bound to be somebody missing, as there always is, that you've forgotten to thank. That's really, really important. But I think we've got everybody together. All the lyrics are there. And Mark sent it through to Steve Ansis. And I want to say a big, big thank you to Steve Ansis for doing his bit and doing what Steve does so well in attention to detail. And Steve came back after Mark had sent the 100 pages to him. And I'm kind of quite happy with it. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's all right. And then he went to Steve, and Steve came back. And he marked it all. It was like having a report card at school and we failed. Right? Commas after the end of sentences, things missing, hyphens like, who knew that wraith-like, like, is wraith-like one word or does wraith-like have a hyphen in it? Mark was getting very perplexed because uh, on Waverly Steps, out drinking the other guys, does out drinking have a hyphen or not? And it suddenly became like an international incident and we spent four days, right? going through all this infinite detail and my hat is off to Stephen Mark for dealing with all this. And even at the last minute, just before I went across, I spotted two names that were, that were spelt wrong. So, um, so we've been dealing with all that, dealing with the codes from Oregon, dealing with uh, MCPS files that are all getting rushed away and sent away. Uh, the vinyl went across. I should have had the test pressings today, but I don't because the factory was closed for two weeks. So the lacquers have been converted into the mothers and they're waiting to be stamped into test pressings for us the year. So the vinyl that I was really hoping was going to play with to you today is not happening. But, but, tonight, this is how fast I was 
getting when I was setting up this to get on to get live on air, my Erdinger, right? I f I poured it too fast and it was too foamy, so it's larger. Tonight for your delectation, I thought I'd do something different. Um, I've, people might have got the impression that um, this kitchen is only a table for me to sit and drink beer at. That is not the case. I actually do cook, not as often as I would like, not as often as I should do, but I do cook. So tonight, I'm going to do Mince and Tatties live on Facebook. That is it. Mince and Tatties live on Facebook. If I start in about 10 minutes, it should be ready for when we finish the programme. People are going mince ties. What is mince ties? Mince ties is a staple diet of Scottish people. Mince, as in Hackenfleisch in German, and ties, potatoes in normal English. Right? Mince and ties. It's a, I love it. Ever since I was a kid, it's, my, it's one of my favourite dishes. When I've ever been asked, when I was asked in smash hits back in the 80s, Soulfish, what's your favourite dish? Mince ties. Mince ties. Tonight, you're going to find it. I took this dish across to Durlach when, I, when, when I, Simone and I got together and I first went across, and when I went across to meet the kids and everything in about uh, 2012, when I first met Liam and the girls, right? And I cooked them all mince and tatties and they were in awe. That was my key into the family, was mince and tatties. Right? So. So I'm going to start that in a minute. Tonight I've got no idea what to play for you. I did think about playing Perception of Johnny Punter and going through the lyrics of that because there was a couple of really interesting questions on the Fish Group pages and a couple of interesting comments on the Fish Group pages that I thought I would address. But it became Mince and Ties, Perception of Johnny Punter and the Big Bosnia story. We'll go Mince and Ties tonight. And as we're going to have at least a lot more weeks together, it's, um, the Bosnia story with perception will be another time. So, if you'd like to hear one of the new tracks, which one you'd like to hear? If you just ping it up and let's just see what kind of what the feel of things is. So you've got you know, Grace of God, the new uh, version of Man with a Stick, which I don't think I've played you the remix. Um, Walking on eggshells. This part is over. The jaunty one. Uh, Rose of Damascus, the very very long one, which I might not have time for tonight. Then you've got, um, uh, what's, what's the running order again? I should not have by heart, I haven't read it on these inner sleeve notes for the last week. Um, uh, we've got um, Sea Song, Little Man, What Now? And of course, Garden of Remembrance, which is coming out on the 23rd of July. For 24th of, 24th of July, 24th, 24th of July. On the 24th of July, Garden Remembers comes out, and that is the pre-order for the album. Please do not write into Samora asking when the pre-order for the album is going to happen. It's on the 24th of July, right? And after this program, I'm going to post a link up, which is basically to, it's a link to Spotify so that when Garden, on the day that Garden of Remembrance is released, on the 24th of July, if you click this, it'll take you up to Spotify, and the song will be automatically kind of kicked into your computer or whatever it is you're using so so you'll get the link later on um james smith am i the only scotsman who hates mince and ties tune out now this is going to get ugly
mince and pies, no tatties, tatties, not patties. Patties is that thing that Americans call hamburgers, patties. Don't understand that. Kevin McDock, mince and ties. Can you ship out your mince and ties, Stuart Braid? Something we may have to consider in the future. Um, I'm building this up a lot, Dan Rumson. You're damn right I am. Once I get started. Before I get started, right, once we get started. This is um, from the East Lothian Courier. This is my, my, local, my local paper, right? I love it. It's great. It's like, it's the local paper, right? And um, now I've been living here since, uh, when did I move up here? 1989, I moved here, right? So I've been here for a long time, right? <laughs> so this is the article, right? It's in here. You can't read it because it's the wrong way around because I've not sorted this camera thing out yet. Fish hooked on new extension. That's the headline, and it's a piece, it's, it's that, it's that piece there, this one here. Fish hooked on new extension, right. An extension to the home of former Marillion frontman Fish has been given the go-ahead. See, former Marillion frontman. Even up here, I'm still ex-Marillion. Even though I've been here since 89, it's like everybody's, unless you write Marillion, people will not know who he is, right? The musician, who lives on the outskirts of Haddington, sought planning permission for the work which includes a new bathroom. The East Lothian Council Planning Officer's report noted that there were no objections from the public to the proposals. It reads, The proposed extension would be of a modern architectural form which would be similar to that of the existing house and be sensitively sited to the side of the property and would not appear as over-dominant or discordant features when viewed from the surrounding area. That is the article, right? The extension, this isn't Robbie Williams building an underground swimming pool next to Jimmy Page, right? This isn't a major tower or anything like that, you know? It's a four metre by two metre bath bathroom because we don't have a bath, right? We do have a bath, right? But the bath is outside next to the pond, really, seriously. I've got this big 1.9 metre bath, right, which is perfect for me, right, and Simona, and both of us actually. <laughs> and it used to be through in the, a bathroom through next to the office, and it, which used to be, back in the very old days, used to be um, the amp room for the studio. And when I moved into this place in 1989, it was like, I didn't actually have a toilet, as I said on, on last week's kind of programme, I didn't have a toilet here. My only toilet was an outside toilet. So, and that was during the winter of uh, 2000 and, what was that, 2001, right? So I was walking out in the snow, right, to go to the toilet, right? Apart from the yellow snow, right? So, when I got the whole thing sorted out, the amp room actually became my bathroom. It was the bathroom and the shower room. But as things developed and as my mum moved in here, we had to do a change of boilers and we had to change the whole house around because my mum moved in a room that had da da da. So anyway, the, what was the bathroom got a shelf in it and the bath is sitting outside the Peter Pan pond. So we've got planning permission, as told in the East Lothian Courier, we've got permission to build this, it's basically four metres by two metres and I can put a bath in it. So, and in the last week or so, it's one of those things where I really wanted a bath, right? I've got a torn shoulder, I've got torn tendons in, in my shoulder. I did something to my neck while sneezing last week 
and I was lying on the couch the other day in agony, just going, I just want a bath. And we've been seriously thinking a couple of times of actually doing the old fashioned, like what my granddad used to get done when he was a miner, and take buckets of boiling water out and actually have a bath outside at the Peter Pan Pond because I was so desperate to have myself immersed. Ow! Oh, thank God I saw my beer drinking there. So, there we are. East Lothian Courier, hot off the press. Fish builds bog because also tied to the bathroom on the outside is an outside toilet. Well, not an outside toilet, it's a toilet in a building, in a little outside toilet building thing. So that when I'm out in the garden, I don't have to traipse in with my mucky boots and stuff. So we've got an outside toilet, which when people stay in the cabin, when my daughter comes across eventually, and she can stay in the cabin, and we have somewhere for them to go at night. So let's move on to the mints. For Joe Kane, need olive oil? Olives need olive oil. Sabina Brignall, hello Olaf Prezibula, greeting from Mr. 1470. Douglas Fergus from Rothsey, mince and ties but no onions. Sorry, the onions are going to be there. Right. Let's move on to the mince and ties. So here we are. Oh no, I'm going to have to lift this up. I should have prepped all this before and had oh, the camera all arranged and I'm not. So I'll be checking this as we go along. There we go. Stand up. Yeah. Organic mince. First of all, you've got to brown it. Browning the mince are a great big can. I don't use oil. Now, this is an induction stove, which means that the, the heat comes straight in through the pan. And I prefer to do this. So basically, all the fat from the meat is what you cook it in, rather than adding olive oil, which gives you a little skin on the top. So we get the heat up. But Mr. Ties, it was one of the first things I ever learned to cook that my mum ever kind of taught me and as I said it used to be what we used to have all the time when we were kids and uh, come on come on come on and it's any band any musician that's ever been here in this house in this studio right knows This is the staple. So that's cooking me there. I wandered in here to wash my hands. Veg with the mince ties has to be peas and carrots. Carla Morrison. There's carrots. And this is what we've got. These are... Where are they? The new ties. I did another bag of ties outside. And these are the iron pilots that all they need to be washed. These are carrots that we've grown outside. And these are my French onions and turnips. That to me is the basic of... Where are we? That's the basic what I put in it. So, and now wash hands. 
Darling, I may need a hand, you know. <laughs> might, you be, might you better not hold than I can chew on this lot. So now I'm, I'm going to go back and check the mints, make sure it's not burning. <laughs> this is all going to get really ugly. Said, oh God. <laughs> I know you told me, darling, you know I don't listen. So, we're browning the mints here. And uh, like I said, because it's the induction stove, the meat's heating up and the fat's just coming out of the meat rather than adding any extra. And I use this stuff. This is pink Himalayan salt. My wife got me really into working with different salts. Bit of pink Himalayan salt. And loads of peppers. So my wife, it's bloody empty. My wife and I are absolutely mad for black pepper. Oh no, <laughs> the milk's empty. Bloody tech! <laughs> Darling, the black pepper milk's empty. It's an absolute nightmare. I can't work with conditions like this. See, you are, see? Brown a bit by bit, it takes a bit of time. I'll leave that cooking and I'll go back to, with a knife. Listen, if anything goes really horribly wrong here, <laughs> if anything goes horribly wrong here, right, and there's an accident, just somebody needs to phone a paramedic, right? So, where are we here? Let me get a couple of questions. Oh, da -da 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 -da. Damn it, go and read out a couple of questions for there, will you? I don't, I don't have my glasses here. You have to get your glasses. You read me the questions and I'll do the carrots, right? Pepper, Fill in the pepper mill. Because these carrots just came straight out of the soil, they're completely organic. They're all grown in the, the Jack Daniels tubs outside. Which means they could have an extra little bit of them. All the carrot carrots to make you paralytic. Like I said, the carrots are grew in these big tubs outside and they're fantastic. And these are basically the thinnings. So, just the thinnings. Dad, can you do the questions? I've never done an interview like this. Yeah, it's questions of the sheets. Questions of the sheets. Just ask me a question, I'll tell you if I've done it. What was your feelings when, when punk rock came around? I think it was 
a shot in the in the arm for the music industry. Stephen Ludon. Stephen Ludon. Mm -hmm. What was my feelings when punk music came along? Yeah. And what did I think about it all? The thing is, I live up here in Scotland, which meant that by the time stuff comes out of London, it's all um, kind of by the by. And uh, so by the time punk came up, it was probably, it was an old fad. I kind of objected to it, to be honest, because in the NME and all the rest of it, they were kind of slagging off all the bands that I really loved. Like Yes and Genesis. And to be honest, you know, let's be absolutely honest about this. Some of those albums that were made in the late 70s, there was some both in there, right? And, um, you know, it was all getting a bit excessive. It was like ELP driving about with the trucks with their names on the, on the top and stuff like that. It's all a bit much. And uh, I'm a punk. I didn't like it. I didn't like it there because, because they slagged off the bands that I, were, I was into. And I didn't really like that lot. But I've got to admit, when I went, when I went down to Aylesbury in 1981, I, I didn't realise just how big the clash were down the south of England. And, uh, and I kind of, I got quite into the clash. And I think as the years went by and you become more aware of the music that was getting made, I think the more you appreciate it, you know, I was less defensive about my own stuff. And, and as I said, the realisation that some of the music that was being made by the prog bands was in fact crap. And it was becoming very self-indulgent. But I mean, punk, I welcome and you know, I have quite a few punk albums through there. And I grew to like the Ramones and I grew to like the Clash and I grew to like, well, Talking Heads. I was reading an interesting article about Talking Heads the other day. And it was, I think it was in Prog Magazine, it was uh, Remaining Light. And they were talking about how that all came together. That was, Impressive. Don't, you can pick it up and... Don't see you. Yeah, I know, but you can... Yeah. Is there another question? Because I think I've exhausted Another question. One. Paul Townsend, do you have Fleetwood Mac rumours in your record collection? Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got Fleetwood Mac rumours. Brilliant album. Brilliant album. Steve Strump, are you going to record for a live DVD CD from this upcoming tour? Also, will you perform the new album in its entirety. I don't know what the set list is at the moment. Oh, I need to tell you something. Can I? Radar. Hold on. <laughs> I'm coming down. You... <laughs> no. Radar, who's Steve, Stephen Kent. We call him Radar because he looks like Radar off MASH. And um, Radar's found, so I don't know how he found it. I've got no idea, but Radar has found a stereo mix of the Aberdeen Lemon Tree concert. I hear the cheering from afar. Wow, says everybody. I've got no idea what it's like. I've got absolutely no idea what it's like, but Steve Radar found a stereo mix. But seemingly he says that the, he says that the first two numbers are missing. So Steve Vances has been sent this and he's gonna have a look at it and then see what happens. How's the mince doing, love? Good. Yep. Is it browned off yet? Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so there's a stereo mix in the Aberdeen gig, and I'm be interested. I'll be interested to hear that because that means there's a full live version of Rosie Damascus if the two first two songs are missing. So there you go. 
So you never know, somewhere in the future you will hear this. The one and only gig from 2020. Um, on that subject, I still haven't heard back from uh, anybody. The European dates, I was going to get up by today, but I didn't get them in time. But they will all be up next week, okay? All the new dates, right? And hopefully I will get news about news about the UK shows as well. Um, like most of you, I find this all a bit confusing because there's people saying that yesterday, I think it was on the TV, they said, oh yeah, we're opening up for um, outdoor outdoor theatre gigs. And I'm going, that's really helpful. But nobody mentions the bands. And basically the entire music industry seems to have been forgotten. There's 50 million or some ridiculous amount that's going to opera houses and all the rest of it. But I was talking to Mark today from Gig Cartel and he was saying, you know, this is very, very well and good. It's great that the, the, this big halls, big theatres are getting money and they do need it. But there are other people out there and there's other venues out there. And I think what worries me is that there's a, you know, even Mark said to me today that, you know, the big worry is that what happens to some of these venues next year if we've got gigs and, you know, so is, you know, is that all going to happen? And I think that's just the problem that we've just all got at the moment. It's, it's the sheer uncertainty. What's wrong? Yeah, I don't know. What's it like? Say hello, you're on camera Hello done, Mr. Chef. Do you want to talk to him about bread? He doesn't want to talk to me about bread just now. So I've got the carrots. Uh, onions, I've got to do the onions. I can cut those onions. No, I can do it. So it's, um, we compost everything here as well. I've got to watch because this whole thing morphs into like the funny farm kitchen garden sometimes. That's... Onions, hate doing onions. How can I get us? You don't want to see me chopping onions. Another question, darling, please. Um, <coughs> oh, bit slimy. Matthew Bennett. Matthew Bennett. Do you think all concert tickets, outlets, Via Gogo, StubHub, etc. should be police regulated to prevent ticket count selling tickets and astronomical prices and taking example of Iron Maiden on a Can you do that again? Because it's, it's an interesting question. Do you think all concert ticket outlet, outlets, Via Gogo, StubHub, etc. should be police regulated to prevent ticket touts? Touts. Selling tickets at astronomical prices and taking example of Iron Maiden on a previous UK tour where stewards require proof of credit card upon entry with ticket. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of... Let me get on with the onions, right? Because I'm getting a bit behind here. It's, um... I hate this idea, the whole via Google thing and everything, where... I mean, I, I remember seeing... People were getting confused, I remember, about a year or so ago when, well, the last time was in tour, and they were talking about, 
oh, I'm trying to get tickets for Manchester and I can't get it because it's sold out and blah, 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 right? And um, the tickets were selling, they were like selling 75, 80 quid a go, right? And it was like, I just, I hate them. You know, the way that they, they do this, they were making more money, you know, five, ten times more money than I was off a ticket. And yeah, I hate it in the same way as eBay with you know, signed albums and blah, blah, blah. The albums I can't really do anything about, but the tickets, yeah, if we can. And I don't, I find it weird in this day and age when we've got all the technology that we're not able to like get a ticket that's assigned to one person that's validated on the night or whatever. I mean, um, some of this, the prices that tickets go for are absolutely extortionate. And I think it's, um, I think I've got to be very, 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 very careful what I say here. But um, there's some links between the big agencies, big promoters, and the ticketing agencies that I think, you know, you have to kind of, there's, there's got to be a question about some of them, just that the links and kind of how things happen and the way that uh, certain prime tickets end up in certain places. To answer your question, I think the Via, the Via Gogo and all these guys, I think they're loathsome people. It's like, you know, fans should be allowed and being able to buy tickets direct. You know, I would do it myself, but it's just too much work. And as I said, the technology is available to the agents. I mean, they're able to, you know, I just, I hate the idea of the £4.50 booking fee as well. You know, it's, you know, there's a, the problem with tickets is there's too many people that are leeching off the back or, or off the gigs in the same way as, you know, we're, as, in the same way as like venues that are taking um, percentages of the merchandise. You know, it's tough enough and it worries me when we come out of all this. You know, there's going to be a lot of venues trying to recapture money they've lost and the obvious target and the weakest target and the one that doesn't really have a chance to really come back is the artist. Right. And, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I mean, the Vio Gogo thing, oh man. And if you, I, I saw an article in, um, uh, I think it was Which Magazine, and it was about um, who actually owned some of these. There was a couple of the outlets were actually owned by some guy in, in Switzerland. So he was selling all these tickets and wasn't even paying the designated tax on the damn things. So, anyway, right there. Nearly finished with the onions. Can move across to the frying pan once again. Put chippy choppy onions in. I love a lot of onions. We grow, we grow a lot of onions out there. An awful lot. Because my wife and I love them and we'll go through at least a dozen onions a week. Easy. And, uh, very healthy, great for your immune system, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Maybe a bit overloaded this actually, but I do not care. Oh, wife's gone. I'll grab another question when I go through. But yeah, I mean, yeah, when you, when I'll look back at the tickets. This is the tickets that are through in, in my bathroom hanging on the wall and all the rest of it. You're £1.75 to see Yes or Genesis or things, you know. It was, you know, as soon as you get the corporations and big business starts to recognise the money that's involved. And the same with merchandise. I remember the Hammersmith Odeon in 1982. You know, nobody knew anything really about merchandise. It was Iron Maiden were one of the bands that kind of pioneered it, with a, together with a Bravado, who were our original kind of merchandisers. But nobody had any idea. 
And nobody thought about how valuable merchandise was to a band. And as soon as people found out there was a lot of money in it, then it advanced to where venues take percentages off, off the band. And now it's becoming pretty hurtful when you're looking at 20%, 25% plus VAT, because there's a whole thing goes on where they charge. When you sell, when I sell a shirt, when I sell a shirt at a venue, when you see 25 quid on a shirt, right? That includes VAT, right? And out of that, we've got to pay everything that gets paid off, off that shirt. But when, if you're selling in a venue and you're selling a shirt for 25 quid and they're taking 25%, you pay them five quid off that shirt plus VAT. So you're not actually paying 25% off the shirt, it's like 30%. And some of you might be going, oh, boring finances. When you're a young touring band and you're going out and you've got, you're a band that's going in areas where you're never going to really claw back your, your, the fee or you're, you're not going to get into that area where you're breaking even and the merchandise is the difference between that and breaking even. When you're paying 25% to, um, or 25 to 30% to a venue off your merchandise, that hurts, especially if you're a five-piece band that's sharing that money and you've maybe got a manager that you're paying 20% to. So that's a big hit to a band, you know. And, you know, I know in America, on the, the Clutching at Stars tour, um, that, the money that I got from that merchandise saved my ass. And we actually lost, I think it was 27 grand or something, 25 grand on the actual tour from tickets. And we made 30 grand from merchandise. And that merchandise was the difference between me walking away with two grand in my pocket or not. So um, that's important. And in America, when we were there, one of the things I had to do was, thanks to the fans, let me get the onions done. Okay. This is Liam. Yeah, you're live. You're live in here, Liam. This is Liam. Is that you at the raspberries already? No. Liam's, you, what are you doing tonight? Sweet potatoes? Liam's doing sweet potatoes tonight. I've got my mince ready. Hey, come on, come on, come on. All right. This is the next really big kind of, this is all I use for oil. This is all of oil. Bollocks. On the pan. Excuse me. Just a small bottle. I got this before lockdown. I recognised that we were going to need olive oil just in case. So I've got a big lump. Normally, or in the past, our lovely friends from the company Italy, or um, they've we've been on a tour bus. They've been uh, they've given us olive oil in the past. It's been absolutely stunning. So the bus is always turned up at the door here with olive oil. But since the last tour, um, we started using the German bus, which meant we flew in and flew out. And suddenly it became impossible to actually you know, bring the olive oil back, unless we want to pay, you know, walking up to security where 
two gallon of olive oil, no good. Right, I'll let them cook, go back to this. Ah! Has this gone off? Reload. Come on, play. Eric Rosen, no, it's not hard to find olive oil in Scotland. You can find it in stores. Right. We get rape oil here, which is really good, and you get pressed rape oil from rapeseed, and that's pretty healthy. Uh, Joe Vincent, liking Liam's trousers. Somebody really likes your trousers, Liam. Thanks. <laughs> Michael King, I think Liam is wearing a pair of your shorts, old pants. No. I'm oh, Graham Wright, I'm not going there. Ian Bass, what on earth is Liam wearing? Something special. So well, the onions are going away. Oh, I've got to do the turnips. We try and do seasonal vegetables here, so it's, um, well, we try as much as possible. Well. Onions on stove. Just let them go away. Turnips, these are the tricky ones. These are the wee A turnip. Swedes and turnips, what people call Swedes and turnips, I've never really got to. This is a turnip, it's white, I like these ones. They're grey at this time of the year because they're seasonal. And these ones are a little bit soft, but they'll do the business. Simon, Simon is in. Simon Mostyn. Simon Mostyn. Hi, Simon. Tell them I'm going to watch it. Uh, the Last Dance on Netflix. The what? He said, watch The Last Dance on Netflix. It's watch The Last Dance on Netflix. It's about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let's turn up the down. Turn up the car. It's all going together. This one is a bit soft. I was going to grow these myself, and I forgot this year. That. Yep, 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 yep. Compost. Cut ten of the bits. Handleable bits. I like it because the carrots and the turnip give it a really a nasty taste. And it countermands a lot of stuff. Cut them in nice little rectangular shapes and stuff. Nearly that, nearly that, nearly that. I'll get back to the questions right after. 
decided to do this today, I think it's a test. See this how I've been juggling every other piece of crap in the last week. I might as well do that. I'll be ready to give you the oven in a bit. Mince, all browned off. These are the herbs, um, someone had got me these. Basically it's hyssop, thyme, and lovage. And I like putting a load of herbs in mince. Just makes it so tasty. We might be finished by eight. This is so bloody easy. Leave that off for now. The last bit, do you want to talk and explain what you're doing? Right. The last thing I've got to do is the, the water. Um, No, no, I don't need the oven done. Uh, let's take a question. <sighs> take a couple of questions now. See how you've been enough cooking. Sonia Christina Brook, do you think the death and following aftermath of Diana, Princess of Wales, was a contributing factor in the lack of sales of Sunset's Empire? No. I don't think the sales of Sunset's Empire had anything at all to do with that. Uh, I think Sunset, Sunset suffered because um, we just didn't have enough promotion. We didn't have enough. Um, we spent so much money on making the album, mastering the album, and I kind of I kind of petered out. It was like the war chest had gone down. And that's one of the problems. You know, when you make an album, that you've always got to think it's, it's a bit like diving in a cave, right? And um, when you go cave diving, you should always if you go cave diving. You've got a tank, and you should always go in for a third, and you've got a third of the tank for coming out, and you always keep a third in reserve. And it's kind of, that's kind of like the way it works for an album, and that you've you've got to be aware that yeah, you could spend a lot making an album, but once you've made the album, people have got to know like that it's out there, and that's where you've got to keep your other part of the budget for for promoting and buying it, because every time you buy a, a, a an advert, it's another kaching, and you've got to remember that. You know, I'm looking at buying ads in Germany, Holland, and uh, in the UK, obviously. And, you know, and elsewhere where it comes up, and then you try and match it to a tour. And as I'm saying, it's like the whole way of thinking nowadays, like the way you, you deal with albums, you know, in 1980s, when you brought an album out, the tour was there to promote the album, right? And that was how the record companies always looked at it. And now it's gone completely roundabout. 
And now it's like the album promotes the tour. So when you've got a new album coming out, and especially when you're in my kind of uh, place where you're an independent artist and you're all self-funded, I don't go through uh, a lot of these kind of funding operations because they take a percentage, which is quite a bit, and you have to use their credit. There's a lot of ins and outs, a lot of fiddly wee bits. I just go, I don't want to deal with this, you know? So that's why I fund it myself. So that's why the touring, that's why Parley with Angels was important, you know, which is why, you know, losing the UK tour this year was a bit of a hit, but not major. It's not, it's not kibosh me. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, when you do a, 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 the album is there to promote the tour, which means I'm kind of out of phase at the moment because of an album it's been released, Felschmerz comes out on September the 25th, and it's gonna be a year before we actually take that album out on the road on, a, on the, the European tour. We might, like I said, the UK tour in February, please let that happen. But I mean, uh, it's strange having it kind of, the whole, having the engine messed about like that. So as I said, the album promotes the tour, and through the tour, and you kind of use the touring to get into papers because when you go to a newspaper, be it regional, whatever, you want to go to the, the, the place and, and give them tour dates and the album so they've got something big to create as an article. And because if you just give them tour dates, papers just go, who gives a damn, right? So it's, it's the, the promotion thing, as I said, cave diving. So I'm kind of in for a third at the moment and you know, with the album, the album's there, but like talking with Mark Wilkinson this week, you know, Mark's going, yeah, it's great, I'm going to sit back. It's, it's, and Steve's going, yeah, it's cigar and cognac time. And we've kind of come over that mountain and we've come down the foothills and that's where Mark and Steve kind of are. And I've now got across the very white watery, you know, rocky river that's in full flow. I've got to go across that and go to the foothills and go up the next mountain. It's a bit like Lord of the Rings in a way, in that like, I am the little hobbit with the ring, right? And I have my company of people. And as we get further and further and get closer and closer to Mordor, right, the more alone I am. And uh, So eventually I should be left with a dwarf and a reptilian creature with the ultimate aim of throwing the entire album into a volcano. That's the way it goes. Well, that's where that's how it goes. So. so for me, even sitting the fuck them in. This is a problem. Right, this is where I've got to do the little trickery bit. Uh, where am I going to do this? Um, I'll answer a question and try and do something at the same time. Uh, a simple question. Uh, are you going to record for a live DVD CD from this upcoming tour? Right, that was asked, but I'll go into more detail while I do this. Yeah. We're trying to get... Steve Vances has already got um, the multi-tracks of the... Oh, straps come off again. Um, Steve's already got multi-track material of a load of gigs from the, the 2018 tour, from the Clutching tour. And with all the writing that we've been doing and everything, we've just had a chance to go through all. So, in the next month, we'll be having a listen to the, the Clutch and Shaw's stuff. And, um... Da, 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 da. 
We'll be having a listen to the Clutch and Straw stuff and putting all that together. Um, God, God knows when that's going to be it. I mean, I've still got Vigil, which I'm still waiting on the sign-off on the licensing for that. This is just an Oxo stock cube, by the way. And, um, and this is my wee magic stuff. I love this. You can't see it's the wrong way around. Nulob. Nulob. It's actually bouillon, and it's Swiss. And it's called uh, Marigold Health Food Swiss Vegetable Bouillon Powder. It's great. The veggie powder is wonderful. And then a kind of sick way I put a good heavy pinch load. Both my wife and I don't work on, we just work on feel on ingredients. We don't actually measure them out or anything. It's just what it looks like. Does it work? Bully on stock. So yes, there will be a live DVD or there will be a live audio. Got to show you this, this is really cool. I've got this thing, it's called a, a quicker. It's brilliant. You get boiling water out of a tap. There's a reason for it, I'll explain. When I moved into the studio, and it's great, you just press this down, red button, boiling water. And the reason was that when, we got the, when I turned this in the studio, the only place I could put a gas tank and put a boiler was out the back. This is way back in 1980, uh, sorry, 2001. So, um, what happened was that the boiler is up that end of the kitchen. The toilet, the, the, the original bathroom was way through the other end in the amp room. And all the pipe work went all the way around, right around the entire perimeter of the studio inside, of course. And it was loads of copper. There's shitloads of copper in this house, right? And um, as we kind of got the an electric heater through there, we were heating the, the tap for the sink off this huge boiler. And we had to get rid of that because to heat up this massive boiler just for a tap was ridiculous. So we got this little cooker thing, and it's brilliant, and I love it. And it saves heating up kettles and stuff. So now we've got... Here we go. Coming off, going back on. I'm going to leave this camera here. But what I do, I say I take this big pot, it's got all the stuff in it. That's, that's the carrots, the onions, the herbs, the salt, the pepper, and I top, I put the water in it so that it goes just over the top of the mince. Come on! But it's very slow, it's filling the boiling water. So that's boiler water from the cooker added, and it just, just about covers the mince. And that,
goes onto the stove. And it's Eldigger time! And that basically sits for about 40 minutes to an hour. And uh, I could take this down now because I can relax a little bit. And that's how easy mince and tatties is. And like I said, it's an abject soul food. It's a beautiful soul food. When I was in forestry, it was at least twice a day. When I was living here on my own, back in the early 2000s and stuff, it was like, <laughs> I'd make a big ton of it and then I'd just put it in the, all the little takeaway wrappers, the takeaway cartons that you get from the Chinese and you'd mark the date on it. And it'd be stacks of them. And I, sometimes I would eat mince and for seven days in a row right, and still be living. Mince and tatties, and then mince and tatties becomes a shepherd's pie because the basis of a shepherd's pie is, of course, mince and onions and da-da-da with potatoes at the tops. There's lots of ways you can do it, but I love it. Let's go back to the questions. Duke Parson, nay dumplings. Nay dumplings. I do have the German ones, but they don't work that well in there. I wasn't a big, huge fan of that dumplings. Andy McIntosh, when can we expect your appearance as Chef? Never. Uh, that's, you know, it's stressful as it is today. It's like, Tommy Frank, Jürgen Klopp doing a new ad for Erdinger. <laughs> what? Ad for, Jürgen Klopp doing a new ad for Erdinger in the UK. Jürgen Klopp doing an ad, what, the alcohol-free version? Ha! Still in my thunder. I'm not actually sponsored by this mob at all. No, I'm not doing nothing. I just like it. Uh, where are we? At the height of Merillion's popularity, this is Ian, Ian Howroyd. At the height of Merillion popularity in the mid-80s, did you ever have an impulse buy that you regretted a few days later? <laughs> Lots. Uh, I've got um, a number of very large cuddly toys that I bought when I was um, flying. <laughs> flying through an airport. And uh, I, I bought a big bear, a big giant bear that I called Bert, Bert the Bear. And Tara's got all these. I had a huge uh, gopher chipmunk, right? And um, I'll tell you a story, but that's a funny story. I had this big gopher, and it was in the house in about, in 1984. And uh, in the house when I lived in Albert Street in Aylesbury, and that was when I was buying, because all the other guys were kind of married and they had kids and stuff like that and uh, you know and i was the only one i was the only one in the band that didn't really have a kind of full-time relationship or anything so they had all this kind of stuff and i had just my, my mortgage on the house and that was it so when i came back i was on my own and uh this was like pre-misplaced childhood days and you know that story right so uh, i was left on my own at nights and you know there was not much left to do right when you're on your own and uh Living on your own and house. It was about, I think I was actually doing lockdown in 1982, 83. But anyway, there was the gopher and the, it looked like a giant beaver at the teeth and the, the tail and stuff. And uh, everybody came in the house loved it. And somebody loved it so much that she actually kissed it and left a lipstick mark on the, the gopher's collar. And I was actually done for it when the person I was going out with came back to the house and it was like, Whose is the lipstick on the gopher? <laughs> I, got, I got done for lipstick on a cuddly toy. Right. Gilly's charge, my lord. Probably the biggest thing that I got, and Tosh has asked this question. Andy, Tosh, Macintosh, right? I bought Skelectric. 
right? And I had this, the house in Aylesbury was kind of like, it was a, it was a terraced house. And the, like the front room was knocked through into the, the, the back room, so it was like one big room. And I bought Skelet Street. I bought shitloads of it, right? And um, we used to set up and have it running around, and it was there all the time because there was nobody to shout at me saying, move the bloody Skelectric, blah, blah, blah. And it would stay up for like, you know, days and days and days on end, and you'd come in and just get wasted and just run cars and around the couches and stuff and then build things and stuff. And one particular night, I remember, I came back from Japan and, uh, and I came back with about 14 litres of sake. Right? And this was the thing, and when I was in Japan the first time, I was absolutely single, and I, I had a credit card, and I was in Japan, and there was all this stuff, like radio controlled cars, which is another story, and um, so there was radio controlled cars and all sorts of stuff, and I bought it all, and I, I, I kind of, and I'd bought, I kind of, uh, I bought loads of stuff, stupid amount of stuff, and I came through customs, and I thought, and I had, I had cigarettes, I had, Brandy, I had the 14 litres of really good Gekai Kan Sake, and a lot of just suitcases full of crap, right? And I thought, I'm gonna get done here. You know, I had that look, and you know when you think you've got the look, you've got the look, and you're gonna get pulled? And I thought, I'm gonna get pulled here. And I thought, I'll get the fine, it's gonna be horrendous. So I went up and I said, do you have anything to grab? Yes, I've got, what have you got? I've got 14 litres of sake, three bottles of cognac, two bottles of Jack Daniels, right? Two bottles of Stolish Naya vodka that I bought in Alaska on the way through that I kept all the way through Japan, blah, blah, blah. I've got this radio remote control car. I've got a Nikon camera, did it? And the guy's looking at me going, like, what? And he says, do you know Jimmy Devlin? And Jimmy Devlin <laughs> was a guy who's a Scottish guy who used to play bass in Bill Baggins, which was a pop band in, in Edinburgh in the 70s. And Jimmy Devlin became a promotions guy in EMI and eventually moved on to become managing director of Polydor. And the customs guy goes, you know Jimmy Devlin? I says, oh, Jimmy's a great mate, man. He says, good man, eh? Heavy, no problem, on you go, son. And I walked through with 14 liters of Gekai Kan Saki. And I went back that night and it was, or I was going through this horrific, you know, Japanese jet lag. And um, so I invited a load of people around. I think Robin Bolt was there and John Otway was there in the house. And John was flying to America, I think the next day or something, right? And we ended up getting absolutely off our faces for the entire night. And there's a great end to this, right? In fact, it was after 85 for obvious reasons. So we just got wasted in the, in, in the thing, electric cars. We were putting, we were, we were putting alcohol on the, on the tracks and lighting it and driving the cars through. I mean, just messed up like, you know, crazy. John Otway left the house at about five in the morning to get straight in a cab to go to America. He was in an absolute mess, right? And during the night, we'd been playing music really, really loud, going through these 14 litres of sake and everything, right? <laughs> there was a lot of other stuff going on. Just, just the guys, you know, just the guys doing crazy stuff with electric cars. And, um, and I went to bed at like, you know, at four or five in the morning or something when everybody had got in their cabs and gone home and I'm like, Ugh. And the next door neighbour, right? The next door neighbour basically got his hi-fi and brought his hi-fi speakers up and put them on the other side of what he knew was my bedroom wall and played Kaylee round and round and round again, like at like five, six in the morning, just playing it. And he, cause he knew I had the hangover. It was and all I heard all morning. It was dun, 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 dun. Aylesbury Saki. Oh, check your food.
Yes, 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 yes. It's all going well. It's going nicely. Okay, Simon Farquhar, when did your parents first see you perform and what did they say? Um, the first gig my dad saw me at was at the nightclub in Edinburgh and that was in 1982 and the nightclub was above the playhouse it was a really old it was a, it was a really old venue in Edinburgh it was a great great place you had to go up all these stairs and my dad came along this gig and we only had about maybe 200 people of that in right and my dad was standing at the back you know and um and this uh this hell's angel decided it was going to be a lot of fun to let off a fire extinguisher and point at a CO2 fire extinguisher and point it at the stage, right? And it was a, a big biker guy, you know, a big heavy duty biker. The fire extinguisher, singer, <laughs> painted face, take that, boff. My dad went mental, right? And I thought I was going to have to come off the stage, but my dad faced up to this guy and like, was like, don't you ever do that to my son again, you and it was great. I've never seen him like that before in my life, standing up to this big biker. I remember my mum coming to the playhouse in Edinburgh, and this was probably, what, 1980, that's supposed to be, what, 1983? And uh, I came off stage, and my mum was standing at the side of the stage with a jersey. She said, you better put this on, son, you're going to get cold. And I said, I'm all right, mum, I've just, just come off after the book. I'm like, you know, me wired up. Oh, yeah, this son, you're going to get cold. Oh, mum, no, mum, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. Yeah. And then they came down to, they, they, went, they came to law gigs and they came down to Aylesbury and stayed in, in Albert Square. But, uh, it's, um, <laughs> but yeah, my dad with the fire extinguisher, I remember, and, uh, and my mum with the coming off stage at the playhouse, you know, 3,000 punters, and your mum's standing there going, you're going to catch a cold. <laughs> Olaf Prisbilla, do you own Rolex watches? No, no, I don't own Rolex watches. I said this in a previous thing. It's like I, I've, I've, I've never liked having. I don't wear jewelry. I don't like jewelry. Someone wanted me to get a wedding ring, but because my hands, if you can see, my hands are all messed up with Jupiterins and operations, and that is my wedding ring finger. And I couldn't get a ring on that unless it was about yon size. So I don't wear jewellery. I had a couple of nasties with jewellery. I once got caught. Oh, that's another, oh, that's another story. Uh, Paula Roberto Lucia. So did you fish from Brazil? Hello, Brazil. How are you doing? Have you noticed, by the way, um, that the electronic customs data stickers that we've now got on the machines, um, the mail order system, and now generates electronic customs data stickers and it has made such a difference to things, packages that are leaving here. And we're finding packages are getting there faster. They're getting to places where we were so used to getting returns from and it seems to be doing the job. So we're still fine tuning. We've still got little bits and pieces, you know, like just tiny little things that Simona is ironing out as she goes along and she's doing a sparklingly brilliant job through there just learning a completely new method of working. I mean, hat off. It's just amazing. Uh, Sue Brickle, yay, John Otway. John Otway, Aylesbury, yeah. 
when we moved, when I moved down to Aylesbury in 1981, John Otway was, I mean, they, they'd been on top of the pops, you know, really free, really free, yeah, very really free. And um, so when I met John Otway, he was a kind of, he was a rock star, you know, and it was great. I mean, you know, but we became really good friends and I love John. And um, we've had some fantastic nights together over it in the past. Um, Martin Allen, do you have a price list for the new album? Yeah, I do at the moment. Um, I'll let you know that. I mean, basically, the deluxe set, which is like the big hardback book and 100 pages and the double CD and the Blu-ray, which is all singing or dancing, which when we get the launch page, the landing page set out, you'll be able to see exactly what it is. But it's a big lump of stuff. And that's uh, 49.99 including VAT. And I was hoping that when the Chancellor turned around and said that um, the hospitality sector, they were dropping the, the, the VAT down to 5%, there was a little voice inside me saying, please, please, could you give us just a break? Because obviously 20% on anything, you know, it's a lump. But the double album, which is coming out, which is in the 16, it's got a 16 page insert in a digipack. That's gonna be 1999. Um, including that and then there's the the double vinyl gatefold album i think is 25 including that so that's kind of where it's at oh. um Wojciech, and Wojciech could how do you pronounce his name darling kutila kutila Wojciech kutila kutila See, my wife can speak a bit of polish i'm as you know, Polish people, I don't speak any Polish, right? But um, Wojciech was recommended to me by my daughter Tara to do a photo session. And he did a portrait session about two weeks ago because it's one of those things you have to get together and I hate doing photo sessions. And I worked with Wojciech and he was great. We had a lovely time just shooting round about the garden. And he fell in love with the garden so much that he's actually doing a whole photographic study that we've allowed him to do. So he comes down every couple of weeks and he's just taking shots of flowers and he's building a kind of uh, an artistic portfolio, you know, which is basically all the flowers because this garden is a bit wild. It's not kind of like a really precious kind of big house type garden. It, it goes wild and sometimes we just let it run wild because it looks great and some of the animals love it and stuff. And, uh, so Wojciech has, has been doing the photo shoot and he was down here today and he brought us some bread. What was the bread, darling? She can't remember. It's, it's what? from Kasha. Kasha. Kasha is Polish. Yeah. It's, it's Italian. I don't know what it's is coming along very very nicely it's 10 past what do you want to hear um uh thomas frank was it a big surprise to you that rick parfit phoned you up to give you some advice to stop smoking yeah it was at the time i mean i'd, I'd known rick off and on for a while and uh you know rick and francis we, we used to have the same marillion and status quo used to have the same management offices down in uh in victoria and I spent a lot of time down there. And that's story. There's, there's loads of things spin off. And they, they, we still, I, 
if I go down these rabbit holes of stories, I won't, sometimes I won't come back. But Rick phoned me up and said, knowing that I was a heavy smoker, and I obviously knew Rick was a heavy smoker. And he told me, and it was him that uh, recommended me, um, uh, what was his name, Alan, put up, somebody else remember. Uh, Alan Carr. Uh, yeah, so he sent me down to see Alan Carr, who was, uh, he did the, the hypnotherapy sessions, but he also introduced me, we've, we'd been trying to stop for ages, but, and it was interesting, it was like, I don't delete, I, I've got n numbers and phones and stuff, and you know, in that Skoda, so I was in the Skoda and I was driving the other day, and it's got the voice control, and the voice control, I don't know, it's like that Scottish thing for elevators, you know, 11, you know, whoever thought of putting a voice activated thing in a bloody Skoda car? So I was trying to phone up Steve Vance's, no, I was trying to phone up my daughter, Tara Dick. I said, it's Tara Dick, right? And it suddenly started dying, dialing Rick Parfit. This was only a week ago, and I'm going, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I've still got a lot of people who've passed away on my phone, and I need to delete them because of this voice control thing, because the voice control, maybe it thinks it's a seance or something, maybe... Maybe there's a the school has got an it's got a medium attached to the the voice control. I contact the dead. <laughs> so yes, I started phoning up Rick Parfit the other day for no other reason. But yeah, Rick was a lovely guy. I really liked Rick, and um, it was it was a shame he went. He was he was he was a rogue. He was a lovable rogue. I think is the cliche. Oh. Uh, any memories of playing with or watching Jeff Mann, Twelfth Night? No. No, sorry. I remember going to see Twelfth Night at the Target in Reading when Marillion were... We were still at Demo State and we were still in... We were nowhere near signing. I think it must have been 1981. And they were kind of perceived as being our rivals. And when I saw them, I didn't really think that they were our rivals. And that whole new wave of British progressive rock. I really hated that thing. Keith Goodwin, bless his heart, a press guy, loved it because he could pull in a lot of bands that he was doing press for. And it was it was a bit of a false thing. You know, I mean, um, we, Marillion always did what we did. I always did what the hell I did, right? And I wasn't aware of kind of rivals. I wasn't aware of anything. It was just, this is where we're going. This is where we're going all the time. Damn the torpedoes, damn the rest, right? So, uh... Justin Wigan, how much of our inspiration were the Indian tapes from Peter Hamill? They weren't Indian tapes. A lot of it was Middle Eastern vinyl, uh, Middle Eastern stuff that he recommended me to buy. And it was, it really helped because uh, both Assassin and Incubus kind of came from rhythms that I'd kind of heard. That was kind of, they influenced those songs tremendously. And, uh... And I, I still like, listen to them every now and again. David Cream, good evening. Mark Townsend, do you have tickets for Genesis this December if it goes ahead? No, I don't. I don't have tickets for Genesis. And, you know, as I said, there's a lot of... You know, the UK government comes out yesterday and says, you know, well, you know, open-air events. It's like, you know, huh? It's like, give us guidance, proper stuff, you know? Music industry, hello, we don't do opera, we're musicians, we're musicians, hello, help, help. Yeah. Martin Stewart, the flowers I'm growing would be illegal in Scotland. Winky winky, yes, winky winky. When Paul McCartney got busted in the Mullican tyre because he got shot, right? It's like, you just know, there ain't no point, it'd be very stupid to, be, to grow anything exotic in this garden. 
especially when you've got Amazon drivers, right? Not only are they taking photographs of you in your underpants when you're answering the door, when, you, when they drop off a box, but they also put a lot of the stuff out in the greenhouse. And the last place you want, you want is somebody coming in from Amazon that walks in the greenhouse and goes, wow, look at that. Wonder what that is. Oh yeah. No, I don't do that. So it's, uh, it's strictly tomatoes and chilies, and that's it. Did I ever beat Billy McKenzie of the Associates? No. Uh, Alistair and McCucci, this party's over. Choose fish. Sea song, please. Man with a stick. Guard the remembrance, please. Um, hi, fish. Can you say happy birthday to Jason Stevens? It's his birthday, and we've got him script for a jester's tear and love the album. Brilliant. Happy birthday, Jason. Oh. Wife and I were down at Tesco's during the week, and uh, we had the buffs, the fish buffs on, so we're both walking about, you know, his and those buffs. And a uh, big tall guy comes up to me, and I don't know his name, and I never caught his name, so I apologise, right? But he was a sculptor from Belhaven near Dunbar. And he came up, socially distanced and everything, and he said, thank you very much for the show. And uh, he was very, he was a, he made some lovely comments. He never, he didn't really know what I did, didn't really know the music or anything like that, and I'd just come across Fish and Friday, and that kind of got him into the music. So, um, and so thank you very much. It was really nice, it was very touching for you to say that. I really appreciate it, so thank you. Um, uh, Bridge Keeler, is relation to where you are living now, where was your farmhouse? Over there. And, uh, yeah, it's next door, which was kind of strange. Because um, when I moved in here in, in 2001, I came back off the tour. And um, the tour bus dropped me off down at the Tyneside Tavern. And I got my suitcases out and all the oil. And, uh, and my dad drove me up the road to the, to the house. And it was just before Christmas. And we drove up the, the road. And then I saw somebody else's Christmas tree in the house that I used to live in because the house had been sold and my mum and dad and some other people had moved all my stuff into the studio. So I, came, I went round the back of the house and came in through the old wooden loading doors at the studio into a place that was filled with a mountain of cardboard. And that was, that was a really strange thing. And the dog that I had at the time didn't take it well. Didn't like the people that moved into our house. That was a long time ago. Yeah. But this is the best place. I mean, this is our home now, and Simone and I love this place. And I've never looked on a house as being something that you create more value in and sell and move on. It's like, I've got this Turian thing, and my wife has got the same kind of thing. It's like, this is our home, you know, and um, it's special for us. And this is the best place I've ever lived in in my life. You know? Deborah Vanilla, keep well, thank you. Paul Schleitens, right, okay, track. Um, uh, da -da -da. The next track that I see is gonna be the one that's played. Favorite chili, Naga chilies, they're good. My favorite one, I think, my wife and I really like Yellow Ghost. It's like, it's a golden ghost. Golden ghost. Golden Ghost. Okay, this party's all up. That was the first one that came up. So, now we're going to take hell, find the remote, and do the thing. Mrs. is through here. 
<laughs> Run away. So while I play this party's over, I'll get the I'll get the tatties on. I don't have the fire on, sorry. Sorry, didn't put the fire on today. But it's, um... Okay. I don't even know what CD's in. Uh... Oh, where's the bloody remote? Remote. I don't know what CD's in, in the player. CD. Oh no, bollocks. No. Mm -hmm. Got loads. New album. New album. Ooh. Mm -hmm. CD one. Well, let's put this one. I didn't prep it because I was too busy today sorting out stuff for the album. So, apologies. This is my Heed CD player with the Parasound Halo amplification system and my wonderful Kefler. Lovely stuff. Lovely jubbly.
This party's over. This party's over. Well, yeah, you were sitting there listening to stuff. We were getting on over here. Everything's looking fine, Derby Dozy. Oh! You forgot the garlic. I don't put garlic in my ties. No? It's a German okay, thing. And then the new potatoes are on. So this is new potatoes, right? These are Aaron Pilots. Look at that beauty. One of many. That's not bad for a new potato. So. I did a ton of ties up. I did, didn't I? You did. And the mince bits tree. Yeah. Yeah. We're rocking. There's a vapor boot. House. You can see been absolutely crap weather this week. I mean, hopefully we're going to get some sun that's going to pop into the game over the weekend because I've got pumpkins and I've got squashes outside that are desperate for some sun. That is a bleeding box. That bleeding box arrived because our brand new vacuum cleaner broke down on Tuesday. Tuesday's been what Tuesdays are. It was a day for vacuum cleaners to break down. Uh, so it's got to go back to the manufacturers <laughs> so it has hopefully it'll be sorted under guarantee otherwise there'll be lots of shouting and gnashing teeth um, uh, where was the question oh yeah John Watman Jr hi fish hi John can you let us can you tell us what you remember about the Roxon demo recording with Les Payne? My dad owned the recording studio in Watlington, Oxfordshire. I was about 10 at the time. I went on to be a huge fan of the early Marillion albums. Look at that, yeah. John, this is what you're on about. I need a mirror. I need to get a mirror so I can replace it. It's the wrong way around. But that says Marillion, he knows you know, Garden Party Channel single. This is an original Roxon demo. And um, we had to save up quite a lot of money to make that. It was about, I think it was about 400 quid to get that recorded. And um, Les we met, Les Payne was a lovely guy and him and I got on fabulously well. Les was a guy that should have had a, a big career in music and just, he was always standing at the wrong door when it opened, you know? And uh, I can't remember all the stories, but I mean, it was like, Every time he had something that was coming out that was going to be really big, something happened that made it all go horribly wrong. And he was, he was like the unluckiest lad, but he had a great, great personality. And he had an indefatigable sense of humour and just total belief in what he did. And he was a lovely guy. And he used to be married to Budget Stops. And Budget Stops was the wife of David Stops, who was the promoter at Friars. And... David and Budget introduced us to Les Payne. I met Les Payne when I was at one of the Friars gigs and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, that's how we found out about the studio. And about the sessions, I just remember we stood about in a kitchen a lot. And it was, it was my first ever time in, in a, a studio, apart from the rehearsal place that we went to with Marillion in, in, in the very early days. But it was the first kind of like a proper studio, like what, what I thought was a proper studio. 
And I remember we stood in the kitchen a lot and ate lots of biscuits that he had because we were all very hungry and very poor. So we ate lots of chocolate that was given to us free. And uh, I remember doing all the falsetto parts on, on Garden Party and taking ages and ages. And I think we spent more time probably putting the sound effects on Garden Party than we did on the actual song. And uh, it, was a, it was great. I mean, that was our first demo. And we needed, I needed that demo because I was kind of trying to book the band at the time. And that was the demo we needed to be able to send to people that kind of showed that we were kind of, A, writing our own material, B, it was quite good, and C, we were kind of a big enough band to afford our own demo tape that was kind of, it, it just gave us a little bit more <clears throat> gravitas, in a way, when you're working with, with the pubs like Nags Head and, and Wickham and stuff like that. So it was a really important demo for us. And um, there's a little, um, there's a flying saucer that's on it. And um, that flying saucer was put in by Diz. And if you're watching Diz, hi, I love you. Right? Diz and I were great mates. And Diz and I were left in the flat sending out loads and loads of these things. And when I eventually get up to the attic, I'd love to get up to the attic in this house because I've got, low, I've got, I've got boxes of stuff from back in the days. Because I'm a bit of a magpie and I kept everything from do not disturb signs to uh, you know the old flight tickets and, and there's three scrapbooks that are from they go up to about 19 the end 1982 into 83 just before it all went kind of crazy and it was just impossible you know but back in the day and in, in 8182 any mention we got in the paper you know such as you know like this thing you know fish has bathroom extension uh, it was uh, any mention we got uh, was really important, and it was, uh, and the local press was was Buckingham, Buckingham Advertiser, Bucks Advertiser, Bucks Free Press. I was, um, yeah, it was. Um, they were very supportive of us, but it was like that was John Otway, Market Square Heroes time. It was all beautiful. I mean, I just remember Aylesbury in the sun in the, in the summer and going like, wow, you know, drinking beer in these pubs. I mean, when I, I was a Scotsman, I'm six foot five. And the first time I went in a pub in, in, uh, in Aylesbury, it was like, you know, it's, it's, are they all this size? And I remember standing there and you've got beams and you'd be talking to people, you had to, you had to walk and stand in between the beams in, the, in the, the pub, especially the one we went to, which was next to Dave Stops's house. And you used to stand there talking to people and they couldn't actually see your face because you were in between two beams. But um, lots of fond memories. But the Rockstone Studios thing was like, as I said, I don't really remember that much about the actual demos and recording. I remember Dizzy's orange, big orange bass amp and stuff like that. But I mean, uh, the actual thing, I don't really remember that much about. So, sorry, but it was fun times. So, 25-2. Uh, Justin Ross, thank you. Uh, Jose Cartazzo, was gibt's heute? You've been listening to it. Um... Paul Gardner lost the feed. <laughs> we all do. What was the name of the bar where you filmed Martin Dodd? Name of the bar where you filmed Sugar Mice? I've got no idea. I can't remember that. You know, that was, that was a time for not remembering. We didn't remember a lot of things that happened back then. Karen Clark, cool. Sean Mitchell, nice and sunny in Liverpool. It's not bad. It's going to be blue skies out here tonight. Uh, Greg Hale, I love that song. It's so much energy. Yeah, it has got a lot of energy. It's by Dave Jackson, David Jackson from Van Graaff plays sax and whistles in that. 
And, uh, and Doris Brendel does a brilliant job in the, the backing vocals. I think that's going to become a live favourite. But that's the single that's scheduled for September, which is on the last thing we're waiting on uh, is basically the animated video that Miles Scarlin's put together. And, um, and hopefully, with, with a fine wave, that should be arriving on Monday. And uh, we, there's basically this party's over video, this party's over making off section, and the section that Miles has put together for Man with a Stick, because he did Man with a Stick as well. Brilliant job on that. So um, this party's over video. I've seen the beginnings of it, but there's a lot of rendering getting done, and it's it's, it's going to be fab. So. Uh, uh, Mandy how thank you Sean Michelle Flynn oh yeah we're talking about the DVDs it was interesting the, the problem with DVDs is like they cost an awful lot of money to put together it's like somebody this is this came up again and um, a friend saying well why don't you do um, a, a live performance thing and hire a theatre and film it and it's like ah to get all my guys together, whatever band it is, to get a band together at this time, I've got to put them into rehearsals someplace, put them up someplace, pay for them to go through the whole wage thing and pay the travel and pay all the rest of it. And to go into an empty theatre, you know, after we've done rehearsals and to play it, you know, it's, it's not going to be finesse. It's not going to be a great buzz. I mean, for me as a front man, you know, I need an audience. And, uh, you know, I feed off an audience and I think you need the energy in the room to feed off. And to play in an empty theatre, to be filmed, right? I don't really think it would be a particularly um, great experience for either us. And I don't think it would be a great experience. I don't think it would be the best possible way to, to basically put the band across ask me after I've been on the road for two months with a band and we're all sitting together and we all know what each other are doing and we all work together and the feels there and the units there then to play in an empty room may work not preferable but definitely not at the moment I've got no interest in it in the same way I have no interest to play in a driving gig and basically front into a bunch of cars flashing their lights and peeping their horns and no not doing that either. So, I'm sorry, but it's, uh, that ain't going to happen. Karen Clark, what about your mum? Mum's keeping great, thank you, Karen. She's doing really well. She's been out weeding in between the, the, the storm clouds. We have to keep an eye on the sky so that the mum, some kind of coin, you know. And um, she's a great weed machine, brilliant weed machine. And she's very happy. It keeps her occupied. Um, she kind of goes just round and round and round the house. It's like, it's like one of them kind of, you know, you get those kind of... The, the, the robot lawn things. My mum's like that. She just goes round and round and she'll, she's great at it. She loves it. She's happy and that makes us happy. So, uh, Rico Pina, was that a Brabantia bin behind you? Yes, there is a Brabantia bin. Uh, it's a Brabantia bin that's not got a lid in it because it got busted because somebody sat in it at a party, I think it was. And it's got a big dent in it uh, because somebody else that was here um, uh, I had a bit of a tent, a, a temper thing went on, and it, it took a bit of a kicking, right? So it's been sit, just sits there. It's good, but I like the Brabantia bins, but that one's been a bit battered. So. Hakan Axelson, do you have any plans for a gig in Sweden? 
Yes, there's a tour happening, but it's not going to be happening until next year. I'm sorry, I hate to say this. And as I said last week, you know, when it actually, when, when we were actually told the European tour is not happening and it's all been moved to next year, um, the, the final realisation hit me a bit hard, going like, you know, this is a bit much. But, but we'll be in Sweden, we'll be in Norway, we'll be in Poland, you know, all the gigs that were on sale for, uh, that we were supposed to be doing this October and November are all going to be happening in, uh, this October, November next year. Uh, and there's nothing I can do about it. Marcelo Soros, do you live in Germany, Fish? No, this is Scotland. Right? I live in East Lothian in Scotland. And now, um, I'm going to watch my team. I don't watch your ties. Everything's coming on nicely. Yeah, because I was asked about my batteries running low. Oh, what the? I'm back. Laptop battery was running low. So, uh, yeah, that's the garden. Some. Oh. And those big things up there, that entire bed there is tatties. The yellow stuff at the back is garlic that's just about ready to be picked up. That's the remains of the salad. Then there's a bunch of cabbages and stuff all ready to go in. And then that's my fig tree. And that fig tree came all the way back from Pratton in Switzerland on the back of a tour bus. And it was in the greenhouse for ages. It was in the greenhouse for ages and um, and uh, I decided to put it out and I thought it might not live and it's not only living but it's thriving and we've had, had figs when it was in the greenhouse a couple of times but um, this year I'm hoping that we're going to get figs on the, the main tree. The orchard is amazing. We've got loads of cherries that need to be picked. We need some sun to get the cherries ripened and then we'll be down there. The apples are looking stunning this year so it's going to be a good year for Scoopy! Wow. 22 carafish. What kind of vape cigarette do you use? I, I use a smock and a take vapes and stuff. It's like they, everything gets so complicated and it's pressing buttons three to three times. Did did program 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 Smocks I find they're, they're quite easy. I try to keep it on one setting and just leave it, you know. But I don't know where it is, I've lost it. Darling, where's my vape about? Somebody's gonna die. Huh? What's the map on the wall when you were turning around? The map's Dalkeith. It's a really old map of Dalkeith that I got. And, um, again, it's all backwards, okay? So I'm sorry, but that's, it's a really old map of Dalkeith. It's not original and it's from 1822. And 
my house was kind of round about there. And that is a ticket for Hibernian Hearts for January 2014, which was a match that my wife and I attended. And I kept it because we won. Where? Thank you. Yeah, I've got um, a couple of doodle things. I try and pick up. Uh, the same things, I've, I've got so much stuff, like, like framed stuff. Right, I always find it really difficult when somebody gives you something that's framed and goes, "There, yeah, it's a gift." And I go, "Oh no, I don't know about you, but you know, I get really finicky with like stuff that goes on the walls. You know, what it has to kind of mean something and be there for a reason and something special." And um, so I'm very, I'm very fussy about what goes up there and what I buy in a frame, knowing that it's a limited thing. So one of the things I do try and find, and it's a little thing I try and do for my wife every Christmas, is I try and find her a small photograph or a lithograph or Durlach or Kalzu or something. And we kind of, it's like every year, there's certain things, but once, when we get near Christmas, I'll tell you more. And we're about to get near Christmas and still be doing this. I have that funny feeling, you know. Hope next year things are back to normal, Luciana Fatima. So do I. But I mean, normal, new normal. Um, like I said, there was a couple of things I was going to talk about today, but A, we're getting kind of short in time and they're big subject matters. And if I go down there, there are warrens and warrens and warrens of rabbit holes uh, that I'm going to be going down. So maybe not today. Today is a mince and tatties day. And, um, Linda Dublin, Suggs is doing a tour talking about his time with Madness. Would you ever consider after you tire of doing a non-musical tour talking about your time? Yes, yes, yes. I think that's where it'll go. It's, um, you know, it's uh, touring and, you know, I was talking about Wojciech, as I said, that my, my Polish friend, the photographer, was here taking photographs of the garden. We were talking about tour buses and saying like, and, and Simona actually mentioned one time, well, we turned up in Colne, right? Now, we're all mature gentlemen, right? And we turned up at a venue, right, at about 11 o'clock in the morning, right, to 11, 12 o'clock, right? And we went, we parked outside the venue, and basically, in parlour, let's just be open and honest about this, right? We turned up at 11 o'clock in the morning after having your stomach rolled about in a bus all night, right? And what you really want to do is evacuate, if you know what I mean, right? And you just want to, have a dump, right? And the venue was not open and it wouldn't open to let us in, right? And we had to go down to a filling station, which was about half a mile down the road to go down to use their toilet. Because one of the rules on a tour bus is you can have, um, solids are not a factor on a tour bus. It doesn't happen. You're sharing a space with a lot of different people. You've got one small toilet, watery things are fine, but anything, solids, you know, if you're having a pee, that's cool. Anything else is a big no-no because you, it fumigates the bus, as you can probably expect. This is what we do for a living. So when we come off that stage looking like superheroes, right, the next morning, you know, you're waking up and the first thing you're trying to find is a place to have a dumpling. And when you're 62 year old and you're having to walk for a quarter mile down to a filling station to have a dump, you kind of go, hmm, where is the glamour gone? Right. And, um, so yeah, so there's that. Where did I get that one? But yeah, so uh, yeah. So touring, the Fish Heads Club tour was great because we were traveling about in vans. There was a couple of us. 
we didn't have to sell a lot of tickets to make it work, which meant we could play a lot more places and we could take our time. We could have lunch in a town and drive on and then the setup was quick. I loved that and it's the same with the spoken word. I'd love to go out eventually for Simone and I and go out and just travel around Europe and drive around Europe and do spoken word gigs or whatever. And just take a time and have a kind of holiday about it all. But it's, uh, oh, oh. Anyway, Phil Palmer. <laughs> cider, that's all I think of cider. Cider. Phil Palmer, have you ever made cider? If you need any tips, give us a shout. Palmer's up. Palmer's up on cider. I shall be in touch. Email me. This is important. I've actually got a huge vat that we made last year and it's been untouched and it's probably gone now. It's either gone or you can make rocket fuel out of it. But I've got a big vat of cider that's been sitting there in uh, a good temperature for a while. But as I said, it got lost in everything that was doing. So we'll try it out on the teenager. <laughs> Sean Mitchell, do Hibs win games? Yes, when they play sometimes. It's really quite exciting when they do. I love it. Uh, Mark Hewitt, my house is on that map of Dalkeith. Mark Hewitt, now there's a name I remember. Rooks. Penny Mead Topley, hi fish, what herbs do you have hanging and drying? Darling, they're asking what herbs do you have hanging and drying? Interesting, actually, my wife. So, what herbs are hanging and drying here today? On the beam things hanging and drying. On the beam things hanging and drying. Drying. In the funny farm kitchen, kitchen garden. garden. So, it's only. Sis, oh, that's Sistus. That's something else. Those are drying. Uh, that's lovage, basil, and coriander. Because I'm preparing for our herbal salt. Yeah. Herbal salt. Yeah. Brilliant invention. Salt with herbs in it, it's fantastic. It's great in salads and things. But my wife kind of does a lot of that kind of stuff. She's an expert herb person and she's, if you go to the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden page, you'll actually find she did, um, Simona did a wonderful piece on, on herbs. Uh, what beer are you drinking? I'm drinking Erdinger, Erdinger alcohol fry at the moment. Paul Hartman, I fish from Holland and the line. I'm spoken word tour would be awesome. Yeah, it'd be cool. If I get a book out, if I get the memoirs out and stuff, then you know you could just go out and you know. You know, people have said, Well, why don't you charge for this? You know, they said, like, well, why don't you why you did why don't you put, get people to pay for Fisher Friday? I don't want it. I don't it was suggested, well, why don't you do it commercially? And I don't want it. It's um I just figure you're in the same kind of shit position as I am at the moment, and we're all in lockdown and I'm a natural entertainer, allegedly, and just to be able to kind of give something and keep give you two hours on a Friday costs me nothing. It's it's an iPhone in a kitchen, and you know I was, I was talking with Steve Vances yesterday. He was like, you know, and, uh, hi Steve, <laughs> and Steve was saying I phoned him up and he said you're the first person I've talked to for two days, and um, so I mean for me, I mean this is an exercise. I mean. It keeps me mentally stable in a way. It keeps me balanced in a way. It's good to exercise the memory circuits and it's good to, you know, it's like doing crosswords. You know, you just, you keep it, it's like going down the gym, you know, 
I say it's kind of this is kind of like going down the mental gym for me. I mean, uh, so, and as I said, I mean, probably when the, all these things. I mean, as I said, this is program sixteen, right? And they're all being kept. You can find all the programs on Facebook. I don't know where they are on uh, on the Apple um, blogs yet. I've got no idea where they are yet because I've not talked with Rob. Hi, Rob. And uh, but I know there was a queue. But I mean, um, but you know, with the sixteen programs, there's a a lot of things come in that will be kind of part of the eventual autobiography, which is why, you know, when people said, you know, you're going to write a, you know, an autobiography, it's like, it's not going to be an autobiography because there are so many stories and there are so many rabbit holes. And, you know, when I start talking to you, as you know, as you've seen from the graph that was put up in the fish group pages, I go here, there, bing, ding. And I've got to try and get that mapped in a book. And it's not going to be one book. It's going to bounce about through lots of other places. Um, Ian Drew, do you like Genesis music? And he went, yeah, I, I, I don't play it in the house that much. I mean, every now and again, I listen to Selling England by the Pound. I think if I ever play a Genesis album, if I'm ever playing a Genesis album, when I've had a couple, a couple of wines in that, and it's like two o'clock in the morning, three sides live, Definitely. Three Sides Live, that entire medley, the In The Cage medley is absolutely brilliant. And hearing Phil Collins and, um, oh yeah, the table tennis story. See what I mean, rabbit holes. It was um, nine minutes. I could do the Genesis table tennis story. I worked with Tony Banks and I was asked to sing with them. We went through Charisma Rec well, we went through Charisma Publishing. Charisma Publishing was Charisma Records. Charisma Records was Tony Stratton Smith. Tony Stratton Smith was the original kind of Genesis uh, mentor and da da da. I got to know Tony Smith, the, Ge the Genesis manager, who's a very scary person, but a very lovable guy and um, a very smart guy. And um, it was kind of, our publishing moved from Charisma because hit and run, which was the kind of Genesis publishing thing, they bought Charisma Publishing out. So our publishing ended up being owned by Genesis. Go figure, right? And so we were assigned to the, 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 the label that was associated with Genesis, Charisma Records, and then we ended up having our publishing owned by the publishing company that was owned by kind of the Genesis management stuff. So we got to know it. So, well, table tennis. So in 1987, right, when we were doing the Clutching at Straws album, um, we were playing a lot of table tennis in the studio, right? Now, I really don't want to go down that particular rabbit hole too much, but all I'm saying is there was an episode of Ab Fab, absolutely fabulous, and they were in Ibiza, right? And all I'm saying, the table tennis that they were playing was kind of similar to the table tennis that we were playing in the studio in 1987, right? Phil Linnett used to come in and we used to play table tennis with Phil and I'm going to sneeze. This is a, <laughs> that's a weird thing. Anyway, so we were playing a lot of table tennis and I was quite good at it. And I mean, I'm not a great table tennis player, but I was out of our lot. I was probably, I was, I was all right. You know, I was, I, I, I could hold my own, but I wasn't that great. I wasn't anywhere near pro thing. Anyway, woof, we go out and we're in, we're in Rome, right? And uh, 
And I did the work with Tony, Tony Manx, before then. And I'd, I'd met Mike Rutherford, and I'd met Mike Phil Collins quite a few times. And we all got invited to this massive gig in Rome. And uh, people started to get a little bit zazaza. And we were all kind of backstage, kind of after, after the show. And uh, I also remember Tony Banks drinking sake. Now, Tony Banks is not a big drinker, but sake is seemingly one of his preferred things. So is Mike Rutherford. And we were, there was sake, a lot of sake in the backstage dressing room at the Genesis gig. And I was drinking sake. And so was Tony and so was Mike. And we were all getting very jolly and having lots of funs and japes. And somebody said, uh, uh, let's have a game of table tennis because they had a table tennis table in their backstage area so that the band could play. And the band seemingly were great table tennis players. Tony was certainly a great table tennis player. But uh, somebody said, well, who's the best table tennis player in Marillion? And somebody pointed at me and said, well, Fish will do it. Now, I'm not off my face, but I wasn't kind of like in that plane of table tennis playing that you might go like, that's an athlete, right? So I get nominated to play for our band and they nominated Chester Thompson, right? Chester Thompson is a lovely guy, very scary looking guy. He's incredibly muscular, right? And But it's a lovely bloke, right? And this is, a, this is true, right? So I'm standing at the table, right? Facing Chester Thompson. And it was like, and Chester Thompson was going to serve. And I'm standing there and it was like, what was that, right? And it was like the ball just came at me. It was, I didn't even see it, right? Right? And he was just so, and I managed to return a couple of things. And it was like, you return one return, it came right back at you. And he actually went to serve this ball. He put up an air and hit it. And it actually exploded. I'd never seen that before, happen before in my life. The ball, he hit the thing so hard the ball actually exploded in a puff of powder, right? It was, and there was a flash as well. And I, I thought he'd done a magician's trick and he just had hit the thing. He absolutely humped me. I might as well have been a, a cardboard cutout standing at the other side of the table. I was rubbish. And, um, and everybody was having a, a great chortle and I'm going like, you know, how's the guy so good? And it turned out, it's like Tony actually said to me, he says, oh, well, this is Chester. He was actually like, the Illinois champion or something for three years in a row. He was actually like damn near professional table tennis player. But that was my Genesis table tennis story. A lot of things happened in that gig, but that's for another day. So, it's five to eight. Mince! Oh, I'll check the ties. They should be just about ready. Yes, 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 yes. Darling, it's ready. Oh, tatties. Overdone the tatties a bit. I'm going to show you what plate of mince and looks like. Pull the little one. Da, 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 da. There we go. Mince and tatties done during the Fish Hint Friday broadcast.
we go. Look at that. Lovely jubbly. I don't put, some people put corn flour in it and put, uh, and create a lot more gravy. My wife calls it a stew, right? And that is more of a kind of like a, a, a minced stew. You can put corn flour in it and thicken the whole thing up and put that bistle stuff you buy down the Tesco's and that, throw that in up, right? Things up. I don't like it like that, but this is kind of where it's at. Mm. Darling. Darling. Don't know. This is your mum. I've always taken it through to mum. Yeah, we, we take we, we take it through. Mum has a, all our meals through there, so like. That's not enough. It's not enough, but it's for you to taste, just to make sure it's okay. Oh, yeah, I thought it was for your mum. Okay. Who works? I'm hungry. Mm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is the end of another Fishing Friday. Mince and tatties cooked live on air. Well, despite all the stress, we managed to bring together a meal. You don't even get this on a BBC Saturday morning. And so, another week of lockdown has passed us by, week 16. Well, I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're sane. Um, the pubs are opening. I'm still not going out. I'm not interested in going to a restaurant or anything. As I said, you know, we shield my mum through there. And, uh, so we're not really interested in, in going out at all. But if you are going out, wear a mask, right? Where's, do we have the green one? Do we have the green one? Just, I think I told you before, there are people out there going like, you know, yeah, okay, well, we catch COVID, it's like the flu and all the rest of it. And after two weeks, you're okay and you're passed and that's it. To some people and to a lot of people out there, it's not it. And there's a lot of really shitty stuff going on in the background that's coming in that people, the scientists don't even know about. And when I'm hearing about 40 year old yoga instructors that basically weren't even hospitalized that recovered in their house that now go to their go to hospital once a week because of lung conditions and because of ME and possible dementia, dementia symptoms and things like that. You know, when it comes to all that, I know this is to protect you, but it's also to protect our people. Just wear a goddamn mask. This, you know, it's not as if you turn into some ugly motherfucker or whatever, right? Just wear a mask, just be sensible. You're helping other people. And the sooner this, this thing all gets like pulled back down again, I'm glad in Scotland that we're, we're a bit later in, in letting it all loosen up. I'm happy we've done that. And you know, as we try and achieve to get back to the new normal, but just take care, stay alive, be respectful of other people, uh, appreciate other people, um, and just watch what you're doing. And um, if you are going out, and I know what it's like, you go out a pub, you have four or five pints, and then you forget about it. 
and you know suddenly it's like you think everything's back as how it was it's not we still got to deal with this it's still out there and like i said wearing a mask and washing your hands and stuff and doing all these simple things you don't want to risk getting something that could screw you up for the rest of your life right and it's just being careful right um so with that another week approaches us i will be back next friday i'll have more news for you next well during the week because there's lots of things happening hopefully by wednesday i will have an album that's been sent away to manufacturing and i'll be sitting here going like yep that's it but we better go now because i know steve rothery's across on another channel and i don't want to intrude on him so until next week take care and stay alive that was fishing friday number 16 and these are bringing you mince and tatties live on air goodbye mm -hmm.